Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, as that goes around, you can go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be spending time. We'll have it on the screen. If you're new with us, welcome. We are in a series that we started last week called Finding Joy. And I was thinking about it this week, and I was just thinking about this. Have you ever met anyone? I, I know you have, but have you just think about this. Who is it that you know? Have you met, ever met anyone whose perspective on life was just completely, completely different than yours? Now, listen, I don't mean like they voted differently than you. We all know those people, right? We're there. That's, we're past that. We're not doing a political series again. But what I mean is someone that the way they looked at all of life, like the whole spectrum of life was different. They just had that different drumbeat in their head that they marched to. You know these people? Right? If you don't, maybe you are this person, okay? Just, just going to clue you in today. But they had a way of seeing and living that you maybe didn't get. When I was uh, a, in college, there was a kid that was there. He was a freshman, and his name was Pete, right? I want to tell you about Pete. Pete was absolutely incredible. Like, I didn't quite understand Pete, and I wasn't sure I would spend too much time with Pete, but I was always fascinated by Pete. Let me give you some examples of this. I saw Pete on a Friday night with a group of his friends, and I, and I said, hey, how's it going? Where you guys been? And he's like, oh, we went to the mall. And I was like, cool, that's, that's great. And the mall where we went to college was about 15, 25 minutes away driving. And he was like, yeah, it was a long walk. And I was like, what do you mean it was a long walk? He's like, yeah, we walked to the mall. It was, it was like a six-hour trip there and back, and then we spent some time at the mall. That was normal for Pete. That was just what he did. I was in a psychology class with, with Pete, and this was general psych. And so everybody was in the class, including the football players at our college who were taking the class but really were there to play football. They were, they were professional their school was just, you, everybody knows what I mean by this. It's not derogatory. But, so in this psychology class, they did a taste test. They did a Coke, Pepsi taste test, blind taste test. And the, the professor brings up a couple of the football players and a couple others, and they're doing the taste test. And they're writing down their answers of what they prefer. And the one football player looks at the, the guy beside him and cheats in front of the entire class on a taste test. And Pete, without thinking, maybe he was thinking, I don't it was just the way he lived his life. He was like, well, at least they don't have to pay for college. That's how Pete functioned. The other time I saw him, he was walking across campus, and he was just kind of walking along purposefully, and all at once he jumped like three times. I don't know why. That's the end of that story. I have no idea. But we meet these people like Pete, and they're so fascinating. I'm not kidding. I don't really want to be around them all the time because they sort of mess my life up. Are you with me? Like, the way Pete saw life was not at all how I did life, and it would mess me up. I'd feel like, man, that guy has so much more fun than me, and I want that, but I don't want to be like that, right? Like, that's, that, you know these people, right? So, so we're talking about finding joy, reclaiming something that for many of us in 2020, we've lost, or at times we've lost. We need to get our joy back. Last week, I told you that finding joy begins with this idea of a shared we. We've got to have the we around us. Paul uses this word in Philippians 1, this partnership. I'm grateful for your partnership. And the Greek word is koinonia. It's about friendship with mission. It's not just friendship. It's about mission. See, you, if you're here, I want you to know this, you have a shared we. You have it right now. Everybody say we. I thought about making you say it three times. All the way home, you'll be saying it. 
But you're sitting here as a part of new community. If you're brand new with us, you, Dave, did you like that one? If you're sitting here with us, you have entered a place that has a mission. We have, for eight and a half years, been a place that wants to find Jesus and follow Jesus beyond Sundays. We want to be about more than just faith on Sunday mornings. And so if you're brand new, welcome. You have a shared we. We are on mission together. Whether you are or not, I don't know. But we have a mission, and you have the chance to start this journey of finding joy. But today, we need to press a little deeper, because joy doesn't just come with the we. You don't just get a good group of people with a good mission together, and suddenly everybody's joyful. You know that, right? Like, you can have a great cause, and you can have a great community, and you can still have miserable people. Are you with me? We're experiencing this right now, aren't we? Teachers, I always talk to you, but you see this, right? Like some of you, you've got the greatest cause in the world. You work with students to change their lives, to educate them. And you still have that cause, that mission. You still have your we, you're together. But there's been a lot of misery lately, right? Not much joy. Or or some of us, we know what this is like. We have a group of friends. We have a we, and we could be on mission. We follow Jesus. But one or two folks can bring the joy factor down, can't they? Like the Debbie Downers, I made this up this week because I think it's sexist, or the Stevie Sadnesses, right? They can really kill the joy. Now listen, I'm not beating up on the Debbies or the Steves. If you're here and you battle depression, I'm not at all making light of that. The battle for emotional joy is and can be incredibly difficult. I've seen it and I've felt it this year. We all get in those places, and I'm not picking on that. But I am saying this, the we isn't enough for you to be joyful all the time. Some of us. We think if we just had a we, if we just had the better community around us, the better friendships around us, we would have more joy. We would be content, satisfied, happy, finally. If we just had a good best friend or if we could find a spouse, if we could maybe find a date, whatever we long for, we think if the we filled it, it would all be okay. And I'm telling you now, that isn't the case. The we matters, but it isn't the magic solution. And that's what I want to talk about today is another piece of this joy puzzle. You know, the thing that fascinated me about my guy Pete was that Pete was always floating groups, right? He was always bouncing from group to group to group. He was never with just one we. He would drift and fit anywhere. He would. And for for Pete, the joy of life, the way he lived wasn't contingent on his we. It was contingent on his perspective, the last story of Pete, and this is my favorite. I, I lived on the same floor as Pete, and so I got up one morning, going in the bathroom to get ready for class, and I'm, I'm walking in to brush my teeth, and Pete is already there. He's already dressed, and he's standing at the mirror, and he's going, hey, finger guns and all, I promise. Hey, looking at himself, how you doing? Like, that's, that's exactly what he, look at you. And I'm like, Pete, what are you doing? And he looked at me in all seriousness. He goes, I had a bad day yesterday. I'm trying to make it better. I was like, wow. See, Pete lived with a different perspective than the rest of us, and it changed his life. And you know what else? It affected the lives of those around him. It messed me up. I didn't want to be around him, but I wanted to be like him. The Apostle Paul was one of those Pete type of people. He messed people up. In fact, I think Paul disoriented people. And by the way, Jesus did the same thing, and Paul took his cues from Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was always welcoming people that were outcasts. Like if you hosted a Christmas party, a dinner, and said, Jesus, you're invited. I'm inviting all my friends. Come be a part of this. Jesus would say, great, and I'm bringing a few folks that you don't want to be at your party. 
Like the hookers, the thieves, the lepers, the poor, they're all coming too. Jesus would walk into religious settings and he would make things super uncomfortable. He would teach in ways that people who wanted to be comfortable were uncomfortable and people who were troubled would find peace. And Paul's the same way. He's got all these teachings in his letter, letters and things about his life that just don't line up to the rest of the world around him. See, we read Paul today and we're like, oh, look at these powerful teachings. The people of his day would have been like, Paul, knock it off. Right? Like 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, here's what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. You ever think about how screwed up that statement is? Like, I'm really proud of where I suck. That's what he's saying. Look at the weaknesses in my life. This is where I'm going to boast. Then 1 Corinthians 1, he says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the strong. Can you imagine if we had political campaigns built on that theology? Let's take the foolish things and shame the strong. We've taken the foolish things, but we still think they're strong. Paul says this. Then he goes on at one point. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You ever think about how countercultural that is? Paul was always disorienting people. He was, just like Jesus, a kingdom disruptor. He was like Pete in that he saw the world in a different lens. And today I want to continue our journey of finding joy by pressing into one of the most disruptive teachings Paul ever offered. If you look at the book of Philippians, you're going to find that it's a letter from Paul to this church that he loves passionately. He has so much affection for this church. And Paul's writing this letter. Now think about this. If you weren't here last week, you missed this. But Paul's writing this letter from a prison cell somewhere. He's writing to a church that had given him, while he was in prison, a financial gift. And the church that he's writing to is worried. Their future was uncertain and their leader was gone. And, and they didn't know how to proceed. They were being persecuted. And Paul writes this whole letter to encourage the church he loves to find joy. He thanks them for their partnership, their koinonia. In verse 12, he starts to teach them from his own testimony. Look at verse 12. Here's what it says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, if, if you're reading this, you need to stop and you need to go, what has happened, right? Like, what has happened to Paul? Paul could be talking about several events, several things, there were any, any number of events that Paul had been through as he moved the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Paul had found himself ended up in a riot. That could be something. He faced a two-year imprisonment. He, he made an appeal legally to Caesar so that he wouldn't be released from jail, but he would be sent on to Rome because he wanted to get to Rome to share the gospel. He faced a threat on his life. Paul had been shipwrecked. You can read all this in Acts. He had been under house arrest and awaiting this impending trial that might cost him his life. And now he's writing this in chains saying, I want you to know that what has happened to me, all this stuff that has happened to me, has served to advance the gospel. Now think about this. You ever heard of something that happened to someone and just been devastated for them? Like 2020, my mom is really struggling for our girls right now because they're not in school. She just feels it deeply, right? And, and maybe you've heard that. People lose someone tragically or they get a diagnosis that doesn't work and you just go, ah, the way this happened to them. And the Philippian church, I think, is in agony for Paul. Our leader is in chains. They're, they're fearful. They're upset. They're angry. And Paul says to them very first in this passage, no, this stuff has advanced the gospel. Don't lose sight of this. The word advance is prokopi in Greek. 
And it means blazing a trail ahead of an army, right? It's this military term. It's about a progress in wisdom. It's about new territory being taken. See, Paul has this perspective that sees, and don't miss this. This is a thing today, that Paul sees his chains as a gift. We could stop there, by the way. Are your chains a gift? And because of his perspective, he's reframing the thinking of the church He's helping them see the situation in a new light. Here, here's, here's what else he says has happened. Look at verse 13. As a result of what has happened to me, he says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now listen, Paul says my, gifts are cha- my, my chains are a gift. There there are things happening to me. The prison that I'm in is advancing the gospel. And he says, here are two ways that this has become a gift. First, the mission is reaching new people, Paul says. See, he's in in the midst of what the Romans would have called their imperial guard, their praetorium. It was an imperial force about 9,000 strong. Wherever they set up colonies, wherever they they, uh, went and fought battles, they would set up these prisons. And their imperial force, their soldiers guarded these prisons. And Paul is in chains with people working beside him all day, every day, going, Hey, I know you chained me up. I know you got a job to do, but I want to tell you about Jesus. And they might have said, Well, shut up. Well, you can't shut me up because I'm already in chains. What are you going to do? I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. And so 9,000 strong are now hearing the gospel from the man in change. You could say it this way. Paul is on mission in the midst of his circumstances. His mission's not dictated by his circumstances. Here at New Community, we, we talk about wanting to start hubs of ministry, house churches, wherever you are. When the pandemic shut the church down, we said, how can we become the church? We want to launch these things. So wherever you are, you're called to mission because no matter if you're suffering or not, the mission of God is still going forward. Someone should say amen to that because that's what we believe. And Paul longs for the gospel to reach the heart of the Roman Empire, the place of power. The Roman guard was that. And he says, the soldiers are getting it and everyone else. I got to tell you how much fun it's been for me to be a part of the, the staff at the middle school this year because there are things that are happening that when I was just pastor, I know you don't see me that way, I saw me that way, just pastor, that I couldn't do. And now there are teachers that I'm praying for going, God, I just want to see them come to know you. God, I know their life is hurting. I know they're afraid. I know they're angry. I know they're anxious. I know they're struggling. God, bring them to you. God, bring them to you. And I have people showing up and students, the student that I had the other day ended up rolling on my floor. I'm not good at this. Like that's what happened. But I'm praying for this kid. He doesn't know I'm praying. I'm praying for this kid. God, protect me and deliver him. That's what I'm praying. Because I'm right there in the middle of it. And every one of you who are not the trained holy person are right in the middle of circumstances. And you're called to mission. See, think about this. If I focus, if we focus on my perspective, I get annoyed. Can I just tell you that? If I focus on my perspective, I get annoyed with the situations, with the context, with where I am. But if I focus on the kingdom perspective, I get deployed, right? If I focus on my perspective, I'm annoyed. If I focus on the kingdom perspective, I'm deployed. I'm sent to advance the gospel. So Paul says the gospel is advancing and the church is being strengthened. See, the church, because of Paul's suffering, was encouraged to share the gospel because Paul was embodying this. 
He was courageous so they could be courageous too. I, I read a story of a, of a pastor of a large church, one of the pastors of a large church, and he, had, he was in his car and he had pulled up on this scene and, and he saw the car in front of him kind of hit this guy on a, on a bike. And it was not bad, it was just an accident. The guy driving the car was about 75 years old. He was, he was struggling a little bit, but the, the cyclist jumps up and is just irate and he goes and he starts pounding on the guy's car. What are you doing, why would you do that? And he says, get out of the car. The guy doesn't want to get out of the car, so he opens the door and he starts attacking the 75-year-old man in the car. And the pastor, like so many of us, is going, what do I do? And so he steps out of the car. He says, hey, knock it off, you gotta stop, you gotta stop. And the cyclist turns on him and starts coming at him, throwing punches and the pastor I love this the pastor in one swing knocks the cyclist out (laughs) now listen the visceral feel of all of you of me when I read that story is yes way to go because we're empowered by this guy's story and yet I wonder if we watched a pastor go and share the gospel with someone who didn't know Christ at all would we be that viscerally empowered How many of us are called to mission, and we see others doing it, but we're not encouraged. We're not empowered to do that ourselves. See, the church is strengthened by Paul's suffering. I want to show you a couple things today. Here's the first part of this. When we have, and we're going to put this up, kingdom perspectives. I want you to see this. Kingdom perspectives. This is where we start today. Your joy has to start with a kingdom perspective because kingdom perspectives focus on kingdom results. Paul is in chains, and he's focused on the gospel. Cool, I'm in prison. The gospel gets to go to new places. But here's the way for many of us, we struggle with this. Earthly perspectives focus on earthly problems. Are you with me? When our perspective is rooted only here in the temporary, in the earthly things, we have earthly problems. But when we take our perspective, the way we see life, into the kingdom perspective, we start to focus on kingdom results. Chains become the gift. Pandemic is no longer a problem. Politics are not how we live or die. We change our perspective to kingdom perspectives, and we begin to look at the situations around us in a different light because of who Jesus is. The Philippian church says, this is horribly wrong. Paul says, no, it's good news. The kingdom perspective is where the mission goes to new people. The church is strengthened. And here's the question, right? How has suffering brought you closer to Christ? That's going to shift your perspective. How has suffering led you to a place that's closer to Jesus? Look at the next part of this chapter. Let's skip down to chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, I eagerly, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He says, I expect and I hope that I will not be ashamed, but will have, check this out, will have, this is the Apostle Paul, will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. It doesn't matter. Now, let me show you the next part of this. If we have kingdom perspectives, then our kingdom perspective starts to shape us with kingdom desires. When we have kingdom perspectives, when we shift our perspective, our perspective will shape our desires. This is where Paul starts to sound like Pete on that day that I saw him talking to himself in the bathroom mirror. 
Paul is in chains. He might be killed. He might starve to death. He might lose his churches. He has no idea what's coming, but his desire, because of his kingdom perspective, is what comes to the forefront. And Paul's desire says, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be courageous, even if I face death. Now, don't miss this because it's incredible, and it's only possible because of Paul's kingdom perspective and how our perspective shapes our desires. Let me show you how this works. Earthly perspective. Let me give you some examples of this. COVID is no fun, right? That's a perspective that we have. COVID sucks. It's awful, right? We could say that. We could say, I hate being alone. I'm tired of being on my own. I need someone in my life. My, or we might have this perspective. My life is a failure. I've screwed it up all these times. Those are the perspectives that we might have. How do those perspectives, when we root our perspective in an earthly perspective, shape our desires? Well, COVID is hard, so I desire normal. And we're left living and longing for all of this, whatever this is, to just be over, aren't we? That's the earthly perspective. I hate being alone. So our desire becomes, God, just meet me in my aloneness, whether that's a spouse, a best friend, a group of friends, whatever it is, you now have this desire that comes out of that. You go, well, my life is a failure. That's my perspective in the earthly realm. So my desire is, I just want to blend in and move to the background where nobody can see me. You see how our earthly perspectives shape earthly desires. But watch this. When we have a kingdom perspective, Every earthly situation, every earthly realm that we face is an opportunity for the gospel. So COVID is hard. Okay, cool. I want to be about God's work right in the middle of it. That's my desire. Yes, it's hard. That's a good perspective. That's a kingdom perspective. But I want to be about God's work. I hate being alone, so I want my singleness, my aloneness, wherever I find myself, to be an opportunity to love others more fearlessly than the married couples that I know. They're all tied down with time. I've got the freedom to love in whatever way I can. That's a kingdom desire. My life is a failure. I screwed up my life. Here's the kingdom perspective, the kingdom desire. I want to see God's renewal as a powerful testimony to the world. Yeah, my life's a failure, but I want to be about the good things God's going to do as he renews my life. You see how our, our, our perspective, whether it's earthly or kingdom, begins to shape our desires. So Paul is spelling out this personal testimony. He's in chains, but he's choosing the kingdom perspective. The chains are going to advance the gospel that now shapes his desire. I hope that, that I have courage and faithfulness in the face of life or death. And he teaches us this incredible faithfulness. And by the way, Paul is actually echoing a passage from Job. If you haven't read Job, go read Job. You think the pandemic's hard? Read the first few chapters of Job. Job's life falls apart. He lost everything. And in Job 13, verse 15, Job says this. He says, though he slay me, listen to the echo of what Paul says. Though he slay me, though God slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. You want to know how to face your current situation, whether it's pandemic, politics, or whatever's going on in your family? Write that phrase. Pray that phrase. Learn to desire that phrase. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. Friends, where are your desires right now? Are they more shaped by the kingdom of God perspective or the situations of the earth? Can I just lovingly say this to you? Some of us in the midst of COVID, we need a perspective change. We need a desire change. Because you know what we sound like right now? A bunch of whiny Christians. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. 
Really? Because you got salvation. If we're the ones that have the hope above all hopes and we can't get through this, how do you expect the world to find Jesus? We need a perspective change, a desire change. Paul gives this simple refrain that then starts to unpack his approach to the future. Look at verse 21. This is how he does it, right? For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, we know this verse, right? Like you've heard this verse. We quote this verse in the church all the time. But here's where we quote it. We quote it at funerals. To live is Christ, to die is gain. They, they've gained. Look at them. Now, let's, let's go on about our life. People are sad, so to die is gain. They did well. Now they get their reward. I've never heard it quoted by someone who's going through really crappy times. I've never seen someone going through miserable times going, yeah, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that's what Paul does in chains, not sure, fearful, angry, anxious, sleepless, hungry. And he says this thing that we actually, we miss this in the English translation. See, in the Greek, the verbs aren't clear, right? The phrase is almost this mantra. Here's what it literally says in the, in the Greek. It says, live Christ, die, gain. That's all it says. I love that. Live dash Christ, die dash gain. That's, that's the way Paul sees life. It's Paul's perspective spelled out for the people that he leads in this Philippian church. They want to know, Paul, how are you approaching this? What's the meaning to your life at this point? And Paul says it, live Christ, die, gain. Doesn't matter. I love it. Friends, what about you? If you were honest right now, 2020, how would you answer this question? What does living mean to you? If you were open and transparent, what does life equate to for you? See, we all have these blanks that we have to fill in. Living is what? How would you fill in the blank? Living is money? Living is sexual pleasure? Living is not being alone? Living is power? Living is beauty? My own self-image? Living is entertainment? Because here's the thing. What you live for determines what you'll die for. I don't want you to miss this. What you live for determines what, you're, what you'll die for. If living is money, dying is being broke. If living is sexual pleasure, dying is being alone. If living is power, dying is no status. Do you see how this works? See, many people that I know are living for the wrong things, and because of that, they're walking around already dead. They're not really living. Some of us, in fact, many of us, our desires are being revealed in 2020 for what they really are. Lies. How angry are people getting because their candidate didn't win or their sports got shut down or their thing got canceled or, or whatever? See, what we live for shows what we die, how we die. Paul says, live, Christ, die, gain. And because of this perspective and this desire for Paul, it doesn't matter what comes next. Last couple verses here, verse 22. He says this, if I go on living in the body, if I go on living in the body, I just can't even imagine writing this to my friends, my family. If I go living in the body, this, mean, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Look at verse 23. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I love this. Because it shows us Paul's humanity. He doesn't have a perspective that removes him from the experience of suffering. He wants to get out of the chains. He wants it to be over. He wants to leave it behind. He's tired and he's okay with death. He's worn out. He wants to be in heaven with Jesus. Now let me spell this out really clearly. I don't believe this is a death wish. 
I don't believe it's depression. I don't believe it's suicidal tendencies. I think it's a longing to go home. It's an embrace of the hope beyond death, that there is a sure and certain hope in Jesus Christ. It is a state of rest. This is Jesus. He was always disrupting his disciples. You ever notice how often Jesus predicted his death? You imagine being his friend? Hey, guys, I know we're about to eat. Just want to let you know I'm going to be dead sometime soon, so be ready. What? Jesus, stop. No, it's okay. It's all right. Let's go, let's go feed the 5,000, but don't forget, I'm going to die, right? Like, it's coming. Are you Jesus, come on. Can you imagine this being your friend? But what does this put on his disciples? The expectation that when he's gone, the mission continues. And we talk about how to raise up leaders, predict your own death, not your physical death, but get out of the way and watch people rise up and let God do what he's going to do in them. Paul's honest with this church to say, I'm tired. I desire to go and be with Jesus. That's better by far. And then he keeps going in verse 24. But, but it's more necessary, and then underline, highlight, circle, write this down. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound, will overflow, will just be lavished on account of me. See, check this out. Paul says, I want to depart and be with Jesus. I'm tired of being in chains. It's been good because it's advanced the gospel. The church is encouraged, but I'm tired of it. But, he says, it's more necessary for you that I remain. Paul looks at this church this church that he loves and longs for. And he says, I don't want to be in change, but I'll stay here as long as I have to so that your progress and your joy in the faith will abound. Do you remember what we said in chapter 1, verse 6 last week? Paul said this, that he was confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, this is so cool. You have to see this. I want to show you these perspectives and desires again. Check this out. We have a kingdom perspective Paul had a kingdom perspective. God was doing a work that only God could finish. Do you walk with that perspective? Do you have that faith that even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your inconvenience, even in the midst, if your coffee shop gets shut down, God's doing good things. God's still advancing the gospel. That's a kingdom perspective. And kingdom perspectives begin to shape kingdom desires. When we have that kingdom perspective, it will shape our kingdom desires. We will begin to desire the things of God. Because God is at work, even in the midst of my circumstances, my desires change. I want to love people. I don't want to whine about my circumstances. I want to serve people. I don't want to be caught up in my own needs. I want to pour myself. My desires start to change. And here's the final part. Because we have kingdom perspectives that shape kingdom desires, that brings kingdom resolve, grit. It brings us something, and it builds something in us where Paul says, I'm going to stay faithful to the work God is doing through me for the sake of others, no matter what comes. Paul says, God's doing a work in you that only can finish. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. I trust that, but I'm also a part of that, Paul says. And me being a part of that is God's work in me. And so I will sacrifice for the sake of God's work because live Christ, die gain doesn't matter. So as we start to close today, I want you to think about this. What about you? When it comes, and just, just leave that up, when it comes to kingdom perspective, let me ask you these questions. Just reflect on this. What do you see right now 
more than anything else in life? What do you see? What do you feel right now more than anything? Do, a, do kind of a gut check, an honesty check with the last week of your perspectives. What have you seen? What have you felt? Have your words been full of encouragement and grace and life and joy and hope? Or have they been filled with, this is awful, misery? What are we, it's Thanksgiving and my family, I can't go see, what am I, what has your perspective been filled with? Your attitudes, your emotions, And then we shift this to the kingdom perspective. What does God see right now? What does God feel right now? Think about your kingdom desires. Be honest. The past week, past month, past seven months, it's been a long seven months, hasn't it? What do you really, really want? What do you long for? Some of us, right, our desires, if we're honest, we just want school back, right? We we just want to get to the vacation, been trying to vacation for eight months and they keep canceling it. We want the vaccine because then everything will be okay. We want people to wear a mask and stop being that. We want people to not wear a mask and just be free again because this is stupid. Are you with me? What do you want? What are your desires? Now shift it to the kingdom desires. What does God want for you right now? What does God want? And then finally, let's talk about resolve. Let's talk about kingdom resolve, the conclusions that we draw. What have you concluded? What have you resolved? Maybe you've resolved in the past seven months, the past week, the past couple weeks, you've resolved that this is hopeless. We're just stuck here. Or you've resolved people are so ignorant and arrogant. Why can't they just care for people enough? And in doing that, in casting judgment, we've actually dismissed people around us and stopped loving them. What is it that you've resolved? And then let's shift this to kingdom resolve. What is God doing around you right now? Friends, we need a perspective shift to find joy. I'm going to have the band come. I'm about done. To find joy. We have got to shift a perspective because it will shape our desires and it will build resolve like we've never known. You want to bring the joy back to your life. Here's how you do it. You start to see the chains as a gift. You start to look at the chains, the things that you go, this is uncomfortable, I don't like. And by the way, and I'll just check this out. Anybody here ever been in prison and chained to a wall? Just raise your hand. Show me because I don't want to speak out of turn. All right. You don't have it as bad as Paul did. You don't. It could always be worse. And Paul found joy in the middle of that. Live Christ, die, gain. I desire to de- depart. I wish, the va- I wish the pandemic was over. I wish we could all take our masks off and not be judged for not wearing them. Like, cool. I wish that would, yes, I, that would be really nice. It's not suck it up. Live Christ, die, gain. I know that's not very pastoral of me to say suck it up, but I love you. Suck it up. Let's go enjoy into the world and be the people of God called to the kingdom. Amen? Let's stop being surrounded by the suffering and say, let's go be the church. Let's laugh again. Can we do that? Can we smile a little more this Thanksgiving? Can we enjoy wherever we are and be the people God has called us to be? Because live Christ, die again. Let's pray together.